If she didn't have the legal capacity to sign her name, then she couldn't sign for a power of attorney. So I just very quietly said to the husband, do you have a power of attorney? He said, no. I said, go see a lawyer and get one now. You're listening to the Women's Wealth Canada podcast with Glory Gray. Be sure to download and subscribe using your favorite podcast app and like us on Facebook. Hello, everyone. I'm Glory Gray. Welcome to the Women's Wealth Canada podcast. My husband, Squatch, and I were doing some hiking the other day on one of our beautiful Gulf Islands here in British Columbia. We were heading back to the car and he said, oh, bummer. What? Well, we've been driving on all these gravel roads, these rough gravel roads, he said, and it's caused some of the lug nuts on our tires to back out, reverse themselves. Now, here's what was going through my head. One, who looks at their tires that closely as they're heading back to their car? And two, if he hadn't noticed those lug nuts were loose, we might very well have lost a tire while driving on the highway heading back home. Anyone who knows Squatch knows he can fix anything, build anything, and it all comes to him naturally. I absolutely depend on him for that. I don't have that skill. On the other hand, when it comes to technology, I'm the geek in the house. If anyone has a problem with their computer or their phone, I'm the one he calls because he doesn't understand it and he gets frustrated. We've been together for 30 years, and now we've come to a time where we realize one of us is going to be gone at some point. And the other one is going to be completely lost trying to tackle the job that the other spouse did. And so we've started to be more cognizant of showing each other how to do things rather than just taking care of it ourselves. I hope you and your partner can take that lesson away with you today. We all want to be heroes to the ones we love, right? We like to keep that special power to ourselves so we are wanted and needed. If you're the only one who knows how to handle the finances in your household, it's time to share that knowledge, because if you don't teach your family how to survive when you're gone, they will be lost. Believe me, because I'm the one they come to saying, I have no idea what investments we have or even how to pay the power bill. You can continue doing that job because maybe you do do it better, but teach them enough so they'll be able to stand on their own two feet if you're the one to go first. Speaking of heroes, today we have CPA Bonnie Wallace on our show. I've known Bonnie for several years. I've known her for both her professional practice and for all the volunteer work she does in our community. We both have been involved in fostering dogs in the past. Bonnie has a private practice and works primarily with corporate clients these days, but she's graciously agreed to come on the show and share her wisdom with us. So come on over and listen as Bonnie gives us some top tax tips that save you money. So, uh, so Bonnie, many of our listeners are retirees. And what are some of the ways that retired couples can save on taxes? Uh, Retired couples in particular can save on taxes by using um, the pension split. The pension split is a very useful tool for um, for couples who have particularly um, like RIF income or superannuation pension income. The um, 
the income from CPP and old age security are not considered eligible for for splitting. Um, but the the um, superannuation, like if you've got a pension income from um, from being a Canada Post employee, or if you've got a RIF income for you know, from, from your RSPs where you've been saving for a number of years, those types of income are eligible to split. And so if you've got one spouse that has a larger pool of RIF income or superannuation income and um, the secondary spouse has a smaller a smaller amount of income overall, then you can take that income and, and for example, if you've got RIF income of $10,000, you can take 5000 of it and slide it over to your spouse so that, um, so that you're, paying, you're both paying tax at a lower marginal rate. But it, it works, like, works like a hot dam. Now, can you explain the difference between that, which is splitting the actual pension income, and the pension income tax credit. So the pension income tax credit is something that everyone's entitled to if they have pension income. And it's a maximum of $2,000. And I've got some notes that I'm going to um, look at here. So it's $2,000. The qualification is that the client be over the age of 65, have life annuity payments from superannuation or pension plans, um, life income funds, lifts or, or, um, locked in retirement income funds. And, um, that's just a flat $2,000. $2, it's, it's not a huge, um, it's not a huge savings because that $2,000 is actually watered down by the 15% federal income tax rate. So it's, it's about $300. Um, but it's, but it is per person. So, um, if, if both, um, members of the family have pension income, they would both qualify for the, um, the pension credit. Okay kind of thinking about that also, and this is a question I get a lot, and I'm sure you do too, and it kind of relates to that pension splitting that we talked about earlier. Uh, avoiding OAS clawback. Now, OAS is Old Age uh, Security Pension here in Canada. And um, at a certain level of income, if you're receiving income from other sources, um, that nice OAS income you're receiving might be reduced. So can you tell us a little bit about ways that you work with financial advisors to help clients uh, reduce that clawback? Absolutely. So um, <clears throat> usually the, the client and the investment advisor will provide me with relevant information and, and their estimates um, of, of what the um, pension income is going to be from CPP, old age security, and the investment advisor will let me know how much income to expect from from um, other sources, you know, dividends or or um, capital gains. And I put together a tax plan, and I do this for a few people. Put together a tax plan so that we know, okay, at this point, your you know CPP OAS and investments are going to earn you X amount of dollars, and this is how much we can plan on pulling from a RIF in order to, and, and we're going to get up to the maximum that we can take out for a RIF um, before we have to worry about um, clawing back any of the 
any of the old age security and the old age security limit for 2021 is $79,845. So if my client comes to me and says, well, they've got income from various other sources of, um, in the amount of $60,000, then we're going to look at taking the riff out only for 19,845 so that we don't get, we don't get caught up in this, um, old age security clawback. Now we're um, we're coming to the end of that tax year, twenty twenty one. Hard to believe, but so what are your top tax tips for preparing for the end of the of the twenty twenty one tax year? As, at least as we see, I mean, I know we hadn't just had an election, so things may change. But at least as they are right now, what are you seeing as kind of top tips? Definitely um, get in and talk to your investment advisor if you haven't, you know, maxed out your your riffs for the year get in and get that taken care of before the end of the year wanting to um, wanting to make sure that you stay you know within a comfortable marginal tax rate you want to, you want to be able to have the money that you need to get through to the end of the year without tipping over and having um, having a, a huge tax burden like an old age security clawback in terms of getting getting ready are you talking about getting ready to come and see me? That's right. How should they help make your job easier when you're uh, preparing their taxes next year? Um, yeah, keeping your keeping your papers all together and and in um, you know in in some semblance of of order. One of the things that can be a challenge is um, people get their their year end investment package and their and. If they hand it over to me intact, I know I've got everything that I need. But if it, uh, you know, if curiosity gets the best and you want to start poking through, you got to make sure that all of those papers get put back, all of the slips get put back to in, in the package, so that um, so that I know that I've got a comprehensive package to to work with. Um, the other thing that I have people asking questions about our medical expenses. A lot of, we have um, an elderly population and there are more medical expenses than, than, um, younger folks often have. Um, so if you collect up all of your medical expenses and let me know, uh, let me know if you did have to do any travel, you know, if you had to travel, um, to Victoria or to the mainland, um, let me know where you had to go and when you had to go there, and I can figure out what your what your um, travel medical expenses because you can claim um, travel expenses for your medical and you can claim meals for your medical depending on the distance that you've had to travel. So that kind of information is is really really helpful. And ask me ask questions. Ask questions. If you're not sure about something, then that's what I'm there for. I can give you a yes or no. Um, people just don't know what they don't know. Do they have to know for the medical travel? Do they have to know exactly how many uh, kilometers they've traveled? They do, and okay. and I mean they don't have to give me that information. They just have to tell me where to go because I can use Google Map. Google Map is 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 my best friend when it comes to medical travel. It's just whether whether or not it's within the the um, what the regulations will allow. Like they don't allow uh, meals to be deducted for travel medical under forty kilometers. Okay, but they so they don't have to give you a copy, a picture of their odometer, for example. But no. you might have to. No, a lot a lot of people do. 
A lot of people do. They're, they're very conscientious about that kind of thing. But, but yeah, I just Google map it and I Google map it because one of the, um, one of CRA's favorite things to audit is medical. So I always Google map it and I do a screenshot of the Google map and I keep it in the file so that when and if the auditor comes along, I've got this piece of paper that says, I claimed these number of kilometers because Google Map told me that that was the distance, and they and that has passed the sniff test with with CRA in the past. So, I know it's something that's a useful tool for me. And speaking of things that are maybe little known, um, there are all kinds of little known tax credits that uh, I'm discovering as as we go along that uh, we can all take advantage of. Some of them are BC, some of them are federal. For example, the home renovation tax credit for seniors and persons with disabilities. What are some of those little known tax credits that people might want to look out for? Um, the disability tax credit is one that, um, that I, I keep an eye on people. Um, to see if, in my opinion, I think they would they would qualify. And the disability tax credit is something. It's a fairly uh, fairly robust tax credit, and it's transferable between spouses. So if if anyone has uh, a, a medical condition that is that really compromises their ability to enjoy. Um, the the good things in life, if um, movement, if it takes an inordinate amount of time for you to get dressed or to to move about, or if you have um, hearing loss or 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 vision vision problems, it's usually a good idea to talk about the disability tax credit. And at the end of the day. It's the it's your doctor who's going to advise CRA whether or not the eligibility is there, but it doesn't hurt to ask the question. And the thing with the disability tax credit too is if your doctor identifies that you've had this um, that you've had this ailment for a number of years, CRA will go back and adjust your tax return for. Um, the number of years. So if your doctor designates that you've had this ailment since 2000 and, um, 2015, CRA will go back and adjust your tax returns back to 2015. So it's it's worth looking into. And you said, uh, so help me understand, you said it was transferable between spouses. What do you mean by that? So if one spouse, if, if one spouse's income is low enough that they can't make use of it, if, if all of their income is covered by their basic personal exemption and their spouse, so, so the one person has the disability tax credit, qualifies for the disability tax credit because of um, a physical or whatever kind of an ailment, at, but can't make use of the whole disability tax credit because their income is, is too low. They can transfer it over to their spouse who possibly has higher income and it can reduce the, the um, uh, taxable income for their spouse. Even though the spouse uh, who has the higher income was able-bodied, did not have that exactly. disability. Oh, yeah. interesting. isn't that interesting? And and just so we're clear for our listeners, the, the uh, tax credit that Bonnie's talking about then is, uh, that's a federal 
tax credit, right? That's a disability tax credit. Disability tax credit, yeah. And then the one I mentioned earlier, that was a BC one. That was uh, that's just if you're uh, if you need some help getting about your home and you want to renovate, you want to put in, for example, uh, a, a shower bar that helps you get in and out of the tub. That's the one I was talking about. Just just to clarify, I didn't want to confuse anybody out there. It's so easy for us to be confused about what is a tax credit and and our taxes, preparing our taxes in general, because often there. The, especially during election time, there are promises made that don't necessarily become law or, ta- or part of the tax code. So I can understand all of us being confused at any time. And that's why we need a professional like Bonnie on our side. So now I know you have a lot of experience in working with um, with women. I think uh, I've mentioned with you that 95% of my clients are women. And there's some important tips that you have for the women in our audience about um, about planning for their taxes. Yeah, there's um, one of the one of the things that I've I've had a lot of concern about, and I've encountered more than once is is um, women who who come to me after um, losing their loved one, um, their spouse, and <clears throat> they come to me with with very very little knowledge about what uh, what they have to do next um, for getting their taxes done, even taking care of their own their own finances, even paying their hydro bill, because their spouse took care of all of it, and it was uh, and they they actually come to me and they they give me these deer in the headlights looks like I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. So one of the things that I talk to people about is familiarizing yourself with how to pay the hydro bill if you have to do that um, and, and you've never experienced it. Knowing where all the bank accounts are because many, uh, many people have money in different financial institutions and even though you might on a regular basis go to the TD bank for um, for withdrawals or um, or any kind of any kind of other banking transactions, you might actually find that um, there there is a bank account at CIBC that you didn't even know about. So familiarize yourself while your spouse is still with you and is still cognizant. Familiarize yourself with all of these things and and write them down. Safety deposit boxes. I've known people who uh, who found out a few years after after they passed away. Oh, yeah, my spouse had a safety deposit box. The money was just being taken out of the bank account, and they didn't even notice it. Um, an auto withdrawal for this, um, and um, didn't know it, that it was there. Um, those kind of things are are very important. Also, getting powers of attorney. There was one instance where I had a couple in my office and in order for the wife to sign her tax return, the, the, the husband actually had to sign her name and show her how to sign her name. And I, I just very quietly said to the husband, like, do you have a power of attorney? Because if she was having difficulties knowing how to sign her name at some point in time, if she didn't have, um, enough 
legal capacity. If she didn't have the legal capacity to sign her name, then she couldn't sign for a power of attorney. So I just very quietly said to the husband, do you have a power of attorney? He said, no. I said, go see a lawyer and get one now while she still can sign her name, even, even, you know, being prompted and, and propped up for it. So, so those things are, are really, really important to have because if you're, if your name isn't on a bank account, and your and your spouse passes passes away, or if your spouse becomes impa- incapacitated, you need those legal documents, a power of attorney, and you need to be the executor in order to access the money to continue on with with your life in the absence of your spouse. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, be sure and talk with a lawyer. Uh, about the t- different types of power of attorneys and which one is more is the most appropriate for your situation for sure. Anything else you've run into? And these are great tips, Bonnie. Anything else that you'd like to share? Um, those are the ones that that um, come to come to mind because I've because I've been exposed to them. Um, and and the what you mentioned about having a power of attorney for medical decisions, I just recently had um, a client come to me, um, and fortunately had taken the steps to get that power of attorney in place because um, her um, her husband suffered with Alzheimer's, and it just happened at the onset was very rapid, and the decline was very rapid. And, and you just don't know how quickly these things are going to affect your life. So you make some advanced preparation for them um, so that you don't have an interruption to your, um, to your cash flow. Well, the, actually, the best thing to do is, in the absence of a power of attorney or if you're, uh, even before you get one, get um, joint bank accounts. If you've got joint bank accounts, then you can both... You know, you both have the right to get into these accounts um, with or without a power of attorney. I hope that we can have you on again, Bonnie, for more tips. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help. That's what I'm here for. That's all for today. If this podcast helped you, please subscribe and please let others know about it so we can help them too. And you could follow Glory Graywell Solutions on Facebook. Are you going through a life transition and need to find a financial advisor to manage your investments? You don't have to feel intimidated wondering how to find the right one. Grab my free guide, 12 Smart Questions to Ask When Interviewing a Financial Advisor. This guide gives you all the questions and why you should ask them. Just go to glorygray.com, pop in your email address, and we'll send it right to your inbox. You can also schedule a free 30-minute phone call with me where you can ask your specific financial questions. Just pop over my website, glorygray.com, and contact us. Until next time, this is Glory Gray, your personal trainer for financial fitness, telling you to take charge of your finances, plan for the future, but most of all, go enjoy today. Bye for now. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Mutual funds offered through Portfolio Strategies Corporation. Other products and services provided through Lori Gray Wealth Solutions.